Welcome to the Audible Insights Podcast, brought to you by the Insights Association, the leading voice of market research, and hosted by David Paul, CEO of Engages, and an expert in research-driven messaging, content, and stories. Hey everyone, this is David Paul, CEO of Engages, and welcome to another episode of the Audible Insights Podcast. Today I have the pleasure of being joined by Mario Carrasco. Mario is the co-founder and principal of ThinkNow, an award-winning technology-driven cultural insights agency based in Burbank, California. The agency enables companies and government agencies to discover the cultural drivers that influence consumer decisions. Mario, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me on, David. I'm excited to join the uh, Audible Insights podcast. Uh, just to make sure that everyone's familiar with you and Think Now, tell us a little bit about your background and about your company. Yeah, so my background, I've been um, in the market research space for over 10 years and actually specifically in the multicultural insight space. Um, so my whole career in the insight space has been focused on multicultural. Prior to that, I was in the marketing world. Um, so I was at Microsoft. MSN Latino, where I headed up digital advertising efforts among Hispanic online consumers there for Microsoft, um, and then uh, transitioned into a very similar role that I am here at ThinkNow for another company called Garcia Research, um, and then started ThinkNow in 2011. Um, ThinkNow, we are a full-service market research firm, as you mentioned, focused on multicultural consumers. And we saw the opportunity for an independent firm that's 100% focused on the fastest dem growing demographics in the U.S. Um, that's Hispanic, African Americans, and Asians. And our unique value proposition is that we're using technologies that most companies out there are using, um, using them in an audience that typically hasn't been um, applied to methodologies that haven't been applied to this audience. And so um, given that, you know, the digital divide is a thing of a past, smartphones are ubiquitous, uh, we're, we're applying those technologies to this, this really exciting consumer base. Yeah, no, that's great. So uh, uh, I know that you focus, as you mentioned, on, um, on multicultural really across the spectrum. Um, it seems that a lot of your focus is not only, though, on Hispanic um, the Hispanic population, but on Hispanic millennials in general. You seem to have put a lot of focus there. And what I was reading I thought was interesting was specifically how Hispanic millennials relate to both their non-Hispanic millennial counterparts as well as non-millennial Hispanics, the older Hispanic population. So I'm curious, what are some of the key things that you feel the market needs to know and understand about this about this um, millennial Hispanic segment and especially how it relates to other segments in the Hispanic population, but also in other uh, multicultural populations. Yeah, you're right. You're right that we have a big emphasis on Hispanic and specifically Hispanic millennials. And kind of taking a step back before I address kind of why some some of the specific characteristics of characteristics of Hispanic millennials more on why, you know, why are we focusing so much on Hispanic millennials? Um, mm -hmm. I think it's, it's important to point out 
to the listeners, you know, while the Hispanic population right now makes up about 18% of the total U.S. population, as you start to get into younger cohorts like millennials, Gen Z, the younger you go on the spectrum in the U.S., the more multicultural those generations are and, mm-hmm. and, and the more Hispanic they are, right? So if we look at millennials, for example, they're making up 20%. Hispanics are making up 20% of the millennial population. And you go to Gen mm-hmm. Z, it's almost 25%. And wow. you go even you, you go even younger. It's you know one in six births happening in the U.S. are you know Hispanic, and you, you expand that out to multicultural to cr- include um, African American and Asian. Gen Z is actually going to be the first minority majority generation. So hmm. we we put a lot of focus on Hispanic millennials because they're really the drivers of growth among brands, not only now. Um, but, you know, more importantly, the future. Yeah, and I, I, I suspect some of those numbers will surprise some people. We, we hear so much about it, but yet putting real tangible numbers to it, uh, I hope shines what an important spotlight needs to be, uh, you know, on the fact that this is an incredibly important segment of the consumer population. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, kind of back to your original question about the characteristics you know, think th- there's some really interesting findings when we look at Hispanic millennials and how they relate both to their country of origin, right? Wh- whether that's, you know, um, Mexican, Puerto Rican, Cuban, Dominican, right? We wanted to dig in kind of what, what are some of the, the, the cultural drivers of Hispanic millennials. And so some, some interesting things that we think have big implications for brand is this concept of the American dream. Right. We read so much about how millennials are not purchasing homes, not going to college, um, not having children. Right. And these are these are some big shifts that affect so many industries, um, not only housing industry. Right. But when you're not purchasing a home, it's like less packaged goods, less, uh, you know, less durable goods, et cetera. But when we look at uh, Hispanic millennials, um, they're kind of the opposite, right? They are more likely to believe in this traditional concept of the American dream, more likely to want to purchase a home, more likely to want to go to a traditional four-year college, more likely to have children. Um, so we feel like these characteristics that make Hispanic millennials unique among millennials at large um, are really drivers for growth for brands in terms of you know, a potential opportunity for brands that may be experiencing declines among millennials to connect with these consumers in a way that, in a way that they're used to, right? This concept of American dream, but also tweaking it because there's this whole aspect of country of origin that you can tap into to be able to connect in a culturally relevant way with this group. What to what do you attribute the the fact that the Hispanic millennial population seems to be um, feeling the opposite to the uh, the millennial generation overall. Do you have any sense for that? Yeah, I mean, it, it really it's driven by um, being first or second generation, right? So if we look at the non-Hispanic white population, for example, um, their ties to their immigrant roots 
are much further than Hispanic millennials, right? You're talking third, fourth, fifth generation for um, non-Hispanic whites and other groups, whereas Hispanic millennials um, are likely first or second generation, mm. right? And the closer you are to those immigrant roots, um, the, you know, frankly, there's, there's more optimism there because you've seen how much your family has, uh, you know, grown from an economic perspective. Um, it's, it's much clearer to you than other cohorts. And so um, it's really linked to optimism. Um, and we've actually found out that even among Hispanic millennials, you start to see that decline in optimism the further they get away from um, that first immigrant generation. Um, so I think that's one of the biggest drivers is that um, immigrants tend to be, you know, the most optimistic when it comes to consumer confidence. Um, but those th that optimism does transmit across generation as well. So first and second generation. And so um, Hispanic millennials, um, you know, they're more likely to be U.S. born, but they're still connected to their immigrants' roots and, and, and really that um, traditional concept of the American dream is, is, is about optimism, right? When we think about it, it's about optimism. And so, um, you know, that's a really, that's a really powerful cultural insight for brands to connect to um, is, is, is that optimism kind of tied to that, that understanding of that, the, the immigrant struggle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, it's very interesting the way you describe that. And it makes, it makes perfect sense to me the way you explain it. Do you find something, do you find it to be similar with other populations that you focus on, um, the, whether it be the Asian population, which um, uh, certainly may have a closer immigrant um, trajectory to the Hispanic millennial population, and I imagine the African-American population might be a little bit different. There are some similarities, but when, when looking at the American dream, not as much optimism among Asian millennials because interesting another point to, to to point out while Hispanics are the largest minority group when we're looking at Hispanic African American and Asians Asians are the fastest growing um, and really driven by immigration because mm. the Hispanics the growth is driven by U.S. birth immigration is almost completely stopped in, in fact we're experiencing some net negative migration so um, among the Hispanic population. Um, so the Hispanic population is really driven by U.S. birth. Um, the Asian population is driven by, um, by, uh, by immigration. Um, and so when we talk about Asian millennials, um, I think there's a big difference between Asian, you know, uh, U.S. born Asian millennials and immigrant Asian millennials. And so you're, you're more likely to find um, that optimism traditional American dream characteristics among the immigrant Asian millennials versus the, the U.S. born, um, because many of the U.S. born, U.S. born Asians have been here for generations. What about in the African American population? Um, African American population, a little bit different. Um, so, there, you know, interestingly, you do have actually African immigration is rising and very different than the African-American population. Um, but the right. African-American population, since we've been researching them and talking about millennials, one of the defining characteristics is their optimism in general. Um, so we do a yearly study called Think Now Pulse, where we look at consumer confidence. And interestingly, 
if we, you know, talking about consumer confidence, that's a study that's done every year. I think it's CB. I mean, you know, the go-to for consumer confidence is always reported as U.S. population at large. Um, we're one of the only companies that actually breaks it out by ethnic group. Um, mm-hmm. And so when you look at African-American and Hispanic, the, one of the characteristics that they do share is that optimism, right? That um, this year is going to be better than, than uh, last year. Um, mm-hmm. Incomes are going to go up, planning to purchase homes. So one of the defining characteristics we see of the um, African-American population is that, that optimism. So you're seeing you're seeing optimism up among the African American population. Up up as it relates to kind of the the population at large and non-Hispanic white. So they're more you know more tend to be more op- optimistic from a consumer confidence level than the other cohorts. I don't think we can really touch on on this particular topic without acknowledging what's happening in the political climate right now um, related to immigration and specifically, you know, immigration across the Mexico border with with the Hispanic population. So with the the political climate over the last couple of years and how that conversation has certainly shifted, um, what impact have you seen it have on uh, I guess specifically this notion of the American dream and optimism and uh, on on consumer behavior related to uh, I guess the Hispanic population, but really any immigrant population that you happen to study. Yeah, it's interesting. So you know, as, as I mentioned, net migration is down, um, and when we look at kind of the, the larger Latin American countries that were providing kind of the, the immigrant flux like Mexico, um, that's, that's at zero. So a, a lot of the, you know, the situation happening at the border now um, is coming from Central America. Um, and they, prior to this administration, were providing a lot of the, the, the immigrant flow um, into the U.S., um, looking at, you know, like uh, El Salvador, uh, Guatemala, et cetera. Um, you know, in terms of how it's affected the Hispanic population, um, I mean, so, you know, like I mentioned, kind of on a higher level demographic level, we're seeing net, net migration, you know, at zero and, and experiencing some negative, um, some negative migration out of the U.S. Um, and from a consumer confidence perspective, um, we're, you know, not seeing too big of a shift. Um, I know there was some controversy. I think the Target CEO attributed some poor, poor earnings, uh, quarterly earnings on a call, had said that the you know administration was causing Hispanics to not go out and shop. Um, and we actually did a study right after, right before that, um, that proved that was false. It wasn't having any kind of real impact that we saw in our research um, among U.S. Hispanics shopping less or purchasing less. Um, one of the things that we have seen, we just completed a study on how U.S. Hispanics like to be referred to. And we were looking into it not because of the political climate, but because we've seen a large conversation around this new term called Latinx. Um, and so those not familiar with that term, you've probably seen it online. Um, it's essentially Latino and replacing the O with an X. Um, the, the main reason that has gained steam 
is, uh, you know, there's the term Latino, which is the uh, masculine term, and then Latina is the feminine term. And there's a movement to move away from, um, you know, the masculine term being the default um, mm. and in fact, kind of removing gender from the whole equation and putting an X. So that way it's, it's non-binary um, and, 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 and it's a more inclusive term. Um, and so we wanted to see, okay, what, what, how are Hispanics now in 2019, how do they want to be referred to? Um, the only research that we saw as a benchmark, Pew, uh, which is a really great uh, research resource for those interested, um, you know, they're nonpartisan um, and do some really great research on the Hispanic population that we use as a benchmark. Um, they did some research on this in 2012. Um, this is prior to the term Latinx um, even being coined. And so that was mm -hmm. the benchmark that we had that they um, they found that the Hispanic population in the U.S. preferred to re refer to by their country of origin. So, for example, uh, for someone born in Mexico, they would want to be, they prefer to be referred to as uh, Mexican. Um, and for someone born um, in the U.S. but of, of, of Mexican heritage, they'd be preferred to be called Mexican-American. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that's what we thought would bear out as well um, in 2019. But what we found, um, there's been a shift from country of origin um, as the preferred term to Hispanic being the preferred term. Um, and I think part of this, now this wasn't part of our research, this is my interpretation. I think part of it is the political climate. Um, I think that we're seeing what's happening in terms of the negative rhetoric coming out of this administration about immigrants, uh, specifically coming from Latin America. I think that what that's doing is providing um, a reason for Hispanics in the U.S. who are very diverse, come from different countries of origin, different generations, um, you know, different food, just very different culturally are becoming more cohesive. Um, and so, um, you know, that, that's a big shift in seven years where, you know, over, I think like in 2012, it was like, you know, the, the plurality of Hispanics in the U.S. It's around 40% wanted to be called country of origin um, to be now wanting to be referred to Hispanic. Um, I, I think that, that that's a reflection of kind of this more cohesive identity based on what's happening um, in terms of the rhetoric and, and the political rhetoric now. Those are fascinating results. So where did the term Latinx fall out? Uh, yeah, good. So, yeah, so that was the whole impetus for the research was like, it was Latinx. And my hypothesis was that it was going to be a pretty small part of the population. And, 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 and we were right. It's, it's about 3%. Um, so it's Three, very, I'm sorry, you said 3%? Three percent. Three. Okay. Three yeah. And, you know, what, what happens there is that, you know, Latinx gains steam online, mainly Twitter. And while, you know, someone like you and I who are kind of on our computers, you know, following social media, um, 
feel like it's a it's a big movement. I think a lot. I think what happens is that it just feels bigger than what it is, right? I mean, yeah. um, if you look at Twitter, only 22% of the U.S. population is on Twitter. And so that's, one, it's not a representative sample. And that's where Latinx gains steam. And if you look at the Hispanic population on Twitter, it's even smaller. Furthermore, and this is a research, I believe, from Twitter, 80% of the tweets on Twitter come from 10% of its users, mm-hmm. right? And so we see these movements kind of pop up online and then they, you know, on social media, they make their way into the media at large, but we're amplifying voices of a very small amount of people. Um, and so while the term Latinx, I mean, I think it's a great term. I think the the meaning behind it is great and what it's trying to do and being more inclusive, I'm always for that. Um, it's 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 not as broadly adopted among the Hispanic population as we think. That being said, um, you know, just like we saw in these past seven years, a shift on how the Hispanic population wants to be called, I think we may see a shift towards Latinx in the next five to ten years as mm. this young this younger population starts defining themselves, right? Um, but as it is now. Um, Latinx is a, not on the top of radar in terms of how Hispanics want to be called. Yeah, yeah, it, it's big inside the bubble, so to speak. But um, when you look out in the real world, the story is very different. Exactly, exactly. Uh, I'm curious, just your opinion as someone who's so immersed in this world. And for me, this is also just anecdotal, not from any study, but the notion of of putting an an X at the name at the end of a of a term like this, I feel like there's a certain percentage of people who can also see that as being dismissive. Very often, when an X is used as part of a term, it's used in more of a dismissive kind of way, and it almost strips away the identity somewhat. How does that ring to you as someone who's so immersed in this community? And have you ever heard anything like that from others in the community? That's interesting. Um, I've never heard that perspective. Um, it makes me look at the word a little bit differently. I get, I get what you're saying. It's almost like being X'd out. Um, I, I, I haven't gotten that vibe from the term. I mean, just because mm-hmm. when I, when I saw it, I kind of, I, I already kind of, I already knew about it because I was keeping a pulse on that. But yeah, I mean, I, I mean, that would be something interesting to, to, to look into. I mean, you can't be the first person that that thought of that in terms of being X'd out. Yeah, no, I, I... Yeah, and, and while it's not literal, to me anyway, and we do, my firm does does um, message development and message testing, so I'm just always really sensitive to different ways these things could be taken, and very often I'm wrong, which is why we do research to prove it. Uh, more often than not, I'm wrong personally, but uh, I've just I've often felt that when when an X is used, it, it can either be deliberately used as dismissive, which is, I don't believe it is in this case, or it can uh, it can come across that way. So uh, who knows? We'll we'll see how that bears out, or maybe if you ever end up with any data on that from a future study, uh, I'd I'd love to hear about it. Yeah, no, definitely. I I I um I actually teased on LinkedIn that, that hey we had done this this work because. We actually had done it um, on spec, looking at this because we were readying a presentation for a client, um, mm-hmm. but we just did some internal research because that was something that they were interested in. And 
um, and so we own the data. So I'm going to publish a little brief um, next week, but I know it's not going to satisfy everybody. Um, <laughs> so, so maybe there'll be a follow-up and that's something we'll include. So uh, I guess another thing I'm curious about is what questions or discussion topics do you wish were addressed more often related to multicultural research and multicultural consumer behavior, either by the research firms that are designing studies or the brands that are commissioning them. And this can be in terms of misconceptions that need to be addressed or stereotypes that need to be broken. What, what kinds of things bubble up for you that you wish were addressed either differently or more often that are just underserved? Yeah, I, I think on a high level in general is sample representation. And I may be skewed because we're, we're a unique firm in that we do full service research and we work with end clients, but we also own and operate a U.S. Hispanic panel. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I often see, because we work with clients that typically when they work with us, it's the first time that they're doing multicultural research. So they share with us, you know, the research that they've done in the past with other firms. And oftentimes we see that the sample frames that, um, you know, just general market research firms put together um, are not representative of the U.S. And I mentioned some numbers in the beginning of the podcast, right, when we look at mm -hmm. the population as a whole, U.S. Hispanics, 18%. As we get into millennials, you know, 20%. We get them younger, you're almost talking one in four are Hispanic, right? Um, and so given those numbers, you would think that, you know, firms would include representative base sizes, readable base sizes of these cohorts and if not of any cohorts, at least Hispanic, given that it's the largest, and mm -hmm. and you just don't and you just don't see that, and I think that's just doing a disservice to the client in terms of have you know keeping a pulse on this consumer. Um, so I would say that's at the top of my list. Number one, just including a representative base size, being mindful of making sure that you're including Hispanics. Um, and oftentimes, right, a lot of the research we do is online. And so if you are including Hispanics, making sure that it's representative of Hispanics, because if you just put Hispanic as the qualifier for your survey and reach out to, you know, the large sample providers, you're going to get English dominant Hispanics. You're going to get more acculturated and that's only a small, that's only a segment of the Hispanic population. You have a large segment of bicultural Hispanics. You have a large segment of uh, foreign born Hispanics, first generation Hispanics, right? So being mindful of those things, I think, is, is one thing that I'd like the industry to start thinking about more seriously in terms of sample representation. I think that's great advice, and I, I certainly hope the industry will, will take it to heart. This is by no means the last time this topic is going to be discussed, and I hope, I hope the conversations overall continue to go much deeper um, and, and don't simply scratch the surface because the, the numbers that you've put out there are compelling. And, um, you know, this is, uh, this is an incredibly important topic for our time, especially related to research and being able to accurately measure 
a potential consumer behavior for brands that are investing millions of dollars into this kind of work. Definitely, definitely. And I think, um, you know, talk, back to, an, an, you know, investment, I think another thing is survey design. Um, mm-hmm. another, thing, another thing we see is just when brands say, hey, we, we needed to talk to Hispanics, what they think is just translating the survey, right? That's, that's how we're going to research Hispanics. Um, and they often do just a straight trans- translation, um, and that's an issue because we, you know, there are some there are some things to be mindful of when looking at multicultural populations. So Hispanics, for example, one thing that we see is Hispanic positivity bias in surveys, and what that means if you're asking about a brand, about attributes that are most important to them, you're going to see. If you just translate a survey as is, your typical um, survey, let's say uh, AANU, you're going to see high marks across the board, and the brands going to be like, hey, we're doing a great job among, among Hispanics. We're good. Um, and they're not taking into account that there are there is Hispanic positivity bias, and there's ways to design a survey that's culturally relevant and that creates more discrimination in the responses. So um, I think moving away from just translating and, um, you know, we call it transcreation, right? Looking at mm-hmm. what you want the survey instrument to do, looking at the target population, in this case, Hispanic, and adapting that survey to make sure that you're going to get that, that, that the objectives of the research are met in a culturally relevant way and just not simple translation. And I know that's difficult for brands to do, given that they want to track it. You don't want to change the question type in any way to be able to measure these results over time, track these results over time. But it's not worth it to keep a survey exactly the same if the data that you're going to get at the end of the day. But before we wrap up, are are there any particular topics that you wish either we had talked more about in this conversation or came up more often in conversations like this. If, if you were writing the questionnaire of things that this, this type of conversation is incomplete, if we don't talk about or bring up, or you don't ask me about X, Y, or Z, um, is there something that you would, that you would fill in the blank there with? Yeah. I mean, I I think talking this out, um, you know, one thing that in our industry that's been a conversation and, it's great to see happen in our industry. You know, it's, a, it's been a little bit slow, but I'm starting to see pop up more is this idea of diversity and inclusion. This may seem tangential in terms of the talent in your organization, but I think I think part part of the issue in our industry, and when I say our industry, the insights industry, the market research industry, um, is is lack of diversity. Um, and I think a lot, you know, some of the things that I've been talking about, sample representation, survey design, et cetera, um, could be mitigated if we were, you know, put, put more of an effort in, into getting a more, more diverse talent, right? Um, and the industry is struggling, I know, getting younger talent into the market research industry. Um, and when we look at youth, like I mentioned, right, millennials, Gen Z, people that are coming into the research industry from a project manager standpoint, from a junior analyst standpoint, um, when you're talking about youth and when you're talking, you're talking about a very diverse employee set. Um, so I think, you know, I think that's one thing as an industry we can tackle. 
Um, and it solves two problems, right? It solves this kind of diversity and inclusion problem that we have from a talent pipeline perspective. But I think it also potentially solves some of the issues that we see in market research, you know, this survey design, sample representation, et cetera, and that having diverse voices in the room when you're designing studies makes you mm -hmm. look at things in a different way and makes you create research that's culturally relevant and ultimately gives you research results that your clients are going to appreciate, that it's going to be more actionable for them, right? Because um, that's why we do what we do, is to help our clients grow. Um, and, and diversity is a, is a critical part of that. Yep. Very, very well said. Thank you for, thank you for raising that for us. Um, before I let you go, if you don't mind, I have a couple lightning round questions for you just to help everybody get to know you a little bit better. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> All right. So let me ask you this. Um, if you could snap your fingers and have dinner at any restaurant in the world tonight, where would you go? Wow. Any restaurant in the world right now. Um, okay. So we, we, there's this spot in um, Tijuana, Mexico called Carnitas Quiroga. Um, not sure if you're familiar with Carnitas. It's a Mexican dish. Oh, fried yeah. pork. Yeah. Um, Love it. We, we just had a couple of our team here from Los Angeles go to Tijuana. Um, and it made me think of that restaurant. So I would go, I would go there. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so, all right, the next thing I'd love to know, I'm sure you're very well-traveled, but what's what's the next spot on your bucket list that you want to travel to? The next spot on my bucket list is Brazil. So I've, I've, I've traveled to Latin America. I've been to, you know, Costa Rica, Mexico, um, but I've always wanted to go to Brazil. I, I, it's um, That's definitely on my bucket list. Um, final question for you would be, as much as I can tell you, you love what you're doing, uh, if you could try your hand at any other career, what, what else interests you? What else would you like to try? I, I love, um, I love movies. I love like content, you know, I'm a big, you know, Netflix, Showtime, I'm into all those shows. I think it'd be cool to be, um, to be a script writer. Um, so my, my undergrad is in literature, so I've always, mm. um, I've always been a big writer and I, I write a lot as part of kind of thought leadership of the, the company and be cool to try my, try my hand at script writing. All right. Well, maybe, uh, maybe as a second career during retirement, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if, a you know, a, a show on a market researcher would be binge, binge worthy, but we'll see. Well, I don't know. Anyone who's ever attended a focus group knows we could we could certainly create uh, either a reality show or a sitcom around some of those. True. There you go. If you see if you All see right. a Netflix show on uh, focus groups, you know you know who wrote it. I know who wrote it. All right, maybe we'll collab on something. Mario, this was great. Uh, I, I knew that you would bring an incredibly fresh and valuable perspective to this topic, and I thank you for for doing so and helping to educate. Um, our listeners, for those who want to learn more about you and your organization and the kind of work you do, what are the best ways for them to find you and connect with you? Yeah, so no, number one is our website, www.thinknowresearch.com. We have a ton of free reports, a lot of uh, the reports that we talked about today on Hispanic millennials, 
Uh, we have our Twitter handle at thinknowtweets. Um, you can reach us on LinkedIn, Think Now Research, and then uh, my personal Twitter handle at Mario X as an X-ray Carrasco, C-A-R-R-A-S-C-O. Uh, retweet a lot of our content, and I'm I'm pretty big on sharing uh, content as it pertains to the multicultural market. Yeah, that's great. Well, with all the reports that you produce and all of the information that you share freely. Uh, I certainly encourage anyone who's interested in, in keeping up with this topic to follow Mario and their company. They're very generous with the, the work that they do and that they share out uh, openly and freely. So I think that's terrific. Thanks for having well, me, David. Absolutely, Mario. Thanks so much for joining us. I hope to talk to you again soon. Thanks so much for listening. You can find all our episodes by searching Audible Insights on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play, and by visiting insightsassociation.org audible. Thanks again, and we'll catch you next time.